Today's episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me is sponsored by FilmCred. Providing new film critics and writers in-depth feedback on their writing, FilmCred is made up of a community of collaborators dedicated to publishing insightful reviews, interviews, video essays, and coverage of film festivals. Visit film-cred.com to learn more. I'm Minna Stein. And I'm Lauren Lloyd. And you are listening to The Movies That Made Her But Not Me, the podcast where we discuss classic films from different generational perspectives. The classic film we're discussing today is the 1977 feature film, Annie Hall. You know what? You know, I like you. I really, I really do like you. Yeah, do, yeah. do you love me? That's do, a key I, question. Yeah, I know you've only you know, known me a short while. But. Well, I sort of, I think that's sort of, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you love me? I mean, love is, is too weak a word for the way I feel. I, I love you. <laughs> you know, I loathe you. I, I love you. No. With two Fs, <laughs> yes. I, I have to yeah. invent. Yeah, of course I yeah. Don't you think I do? I don't know. Let's set the scene. The movie is Annie Hall, directed by and starring Woody Allen. Annie Hall tells the story of a comedian named Alvy reflecting on his past and his most significant failed relationships. Specifically, his relationship with Annie Hall, played by Diane Keaton. The audience watches them fall in and out of love while Alvy breaks the fourth wall, addressing the audience to give his perspective on different situations. The year is 1977. As moviegoers grab their popcorn and get settled into their movie theater seats to watch Annie Hall, the first high five is happening at a Los Angeles Dodgers and Houston Astros baseball game. Jimmy Carter is the 39th president, Elvis Presley performs his last concert in Indianapolis, and Harvey Milk becomes the first openly gay elected official of any large city in the U.S. Most notably, though, Lauren Lloyd is a teenager watching Annie Hall for the first time and falling in love with it. Lauren, tell me about the first time you saw Annie Hall. Get it? That makes me laugh. (laughs) More importantly, I was watching this movie. Um, How did I feel when I first saw it? Uh, I was so overwhelmed with feelings that I stood up at the end. I just couldn't contain it. I felt like um, I was acknowledged. I was really seeing something that was real and really addressed what I was personally going through. Because when I think of all the all the topics, not only was it an intimate uh, romantic comedy, but you know he was talking about love and sex and psychoanalysis and. Jews versus Gentiles and New York versus Los Angeles and I was all trying to figure out where I wanted to go and you know it's just people in love I was just super moved by the truthfulness of it the bittersweetness of it and I felt like I was in on that relationship and only now looking back on it can I tell you know how he was so flexible with telling the story and the different conventions that he broke that I can understand why I felt that way, but I didn't know that. That's how I felt. That's so interesting because the first time I watched it, yeah, it was during the pandemic. Oh my. So the first time I watched it was like about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I had just watched High Fidelity mm-hmm. right before it, um, which is another movie that is about a man who causes his own problems 
and then just wallows around. And so I watched that, and then I watched Annie Hall, and I remember texting my friend, like, I've had it. I'm not watching any more of these sad boy movies. Like, I'm not, like, these men just create their own problems and blame everyone else, and they have no intention of fixing it, and they bring everybody down with them and just want to make these beautiful, strong, powerful women, just as miserable as they are. And so when I watched Annie Hall for the first time, I was like, forget this movie. This is horrible. Don't make me hurt you. (laughs) Um, Well, I understand that, but let me tell you from my age, okay? Here's what was new to me. First of all, someone talking to the camera, someone who looked like Woody Allen, someone who talked about Jewishness, like I, that was not part of my globe. Um... And also, um, what's interesting is that I had never seen a man in a movie be so, not selfish, because they're, they're usually, but so, uh, you know, the idea that he didn't want to belong to a club that would have him as a member. So I was very curious about a, a, a man presenting himself like that. It was amazing to me. There's an old joke. Um, two elderly women are at a Catskill Mountain resort, <clears throat> and one of them says, Boy, the food at this place is really terrible. The other one says, yeah, I know. And such small portions. Well, that's essentially how I feel about life. Full of loneliness and misery and suffering and unhappiness. And it's all over much too quickly. The, the other important joke for me is one that's uh, usually attributed to Groucho Marx, but I think it appears originally in Freud's wit and its relation to the unconscious. And it goes like this, I'm paraphrasing. Um, I would never want to belong to any club that would have someone like me for a member. That's the key joke of my adult life in terms of my relationships with women. He doesn't change for the whole movie. He's, you know, he's irritating, he's aggressive, he's hostile but she changes throughout and that was what was so beautiful for me to watch this strong woman who didn't look like anybody else on the screen I mean look at that look at those clothes I just wanted to be her you know it was all it was all enlightening and yeah a a total pain in the ass a terrible lead character but so funny I think that it kind of went above and beyond just a sexual relationship that to me it meant that oh okay it was hard for both of them she moved on and the way he looked at it was uh, it was a valuable relationship we could be friends they'll never be friends and um, but also the way the movie was presented she's singing that song at the end and they're showing all those moments of when they were you know in love I just thought it, it added a fantastic just bittersweet ending. I did find it interesting that them not ending to, up together at the end it's was not, a happy ending. Well, it's not a traditional romantic comedy because that usually ends with them together, la la la, they go off together. Right. And this, they didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's traditionally not a romantic comedy, even as sold as that. Right. I, and I think that that's a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's a romantic comedy about people who are older than traditional romantic comedy characters mm-hmm. them being well I, what's the age difference like 10 years I don't right? know how old is she in that I don't even know I think she's 10 years younger than him so like she's 30 something he's 40 something oh, and like in a, we're older okay yeah so in a normal romantic comedy like the goal is to fall in love get married have kids like live a very stereotypical Norman Rockwell like we have our family and mm-hmm, we live mm-hmm. happily ever after and that's the goal of a romantic comedy but not mm-hmm. this movie because like <laughs> They're too old to have kids. And, so, and like, um, Woody Allen's already been married twice before he met her. So, like, 
that traditional ending was never an option for them, which allowed the ending to go in a completely different direction of them not being together and that being the happy ending. Well, you know how freeing that was for, for me at that age to see? It was very freeing. Um, it was freeing because it wasn't traditional. She wasn't doing everything he wanted. She had things she loved, singing or photography, you know? And so to me, the fact that they went through, which I think are traditional beats of a relationship, you know, moving in together, meeting the family, you know, all that stuff. Uh, I, I thought it was so refreshing that they didn't have to end up together. That was, uh, or get married or all that stuff. Because I didn't envision that in my life. So I thought, this is great. It was about so many other things. You know, relationships, absurdity, how crazy we are in them, sex, love, you know. Did you feel differently about it watching it this last time than you did uh-uh. The previous times, no? I'll tell you, it's a masterpiece. I really, I, it, no, it did not disappoint at all. There were a couple of things that I went, oh. And one of them was, he's a miserable guy. You know, before he was just like, isn't he kind of cute and funny and weird looking and very clever and those references, those intellectual references, like they have sex and he mentions Balzac. I think just, okay, you know what is going on but he is very hostile and very very angry and very not flexible as free as he you know pretends to be Mm -hmm. he's very not flexible and hostile toward things he doesn't know or people he doesn't know so that i was surprised i was also surprised how domineering it seemed this time and how clearly it seemed to me that it was about you know they meet i love you you're perfect now i'm going to change you and how he's like, plays into how she feels like maybe not as smart as him. And he's like, go to, you know, read these books about death. Go and, you know, go to adult classes. And she does. And she blossoms. And uh, and he's trying to, he can't de- deal with it. He wants her to be, he wants her to be what he thinks she should be. Do you know? So it was He wants really, her to be him. Yeah. He, he... He does everything in his power to manipulate her into himself. Like everything in his power to control her and turn her into a version of himself because he thinks that he hates everybody except himself, but really he hates everyone, including himself. And you see like as he slowly starts to turn Annie into himself, she starts dressing more conservatively. She starts wearing like black turtlenecks and like, just she starts dressing like him mm-hmm. and then after he's turned her into himself he's like you're miserable i can't be around you anymore because you're me and i hate me and that's kind of like that i wouldn't want to be yes. part of a club that has me as a member mm-hmm. he like can't stand being around her anymore and they have to break up yeah and he so always puts himself in a corner that he can't get out of and he's just he's just so crabby <laughs> to put it simply, <laughs> he's a crabby guy. We see in that scene where um, it's Annie and her family, and they're eating ham, and ham. then you see yeah, <laughs> they're eating ham, uh-huh. and then you see like a split screen with Alvy's family, mm-hmm. and it's very free, and everyone's having a great time, and they're yelling, and they're eating delicious food, and then in the other scene, they're all very prim and proper, and mm-hmm. they have their napkins folded, and they're. You know, saying, how was your day? And, you know, no one was stepping on each other. 
You remember Randy Hunt, Annie? He was in the choir with you. Oh, yes. I can't believe this family. Annie's mother is really beautiful. And they're talking swap meets and boat basins. And the old lady at the end of the table <clears throat> is a classic Jew hater. And they, they, they really look American, you know, very healthy. They're, like, they never get sick or anything. Nothing like my family. You know, the two are like oil and water. Ah, let him drop dead. Who needs this business? His wife has diabetes. Diabetes? It's interesting to me how through their relationship, as in Annie and Alvy's relationship, they both are the opposite of what they came from. And I think that that kind of attracts them to each other. Like, Alvy came to this really free environment, but he grows up to be a stuffy guy who's, like, going to Freudian I therapy. Never, I never saw that. That's super interesting. He turns into this very stuffy person, and she comes from a really stuffy, prim and proper household, but she turns into a free spirit, and yeah. then they're attracted to each other, and he wants her to be more like him, and she wants him to be more like her, and he's trying to, like, turn her into what he came what she came from like her family even though he claims that that's the opposite of what he wants very interesting i did not see that but what i did see in that scene was that sight gag you know when 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 uh, it's also the jew versus the gentile which just in my life i we were the 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 annie hall family you know I, but i wanted to be I wanted to be Jewish. I told my mom I wanted to be Jewish because I went to a Seder and she said, oh, they're different than we are. And I was like, yeah, that's why I wanted to be that. But the, just the freedom of speech and the enthusiasm. So but in that scene where they had the split screen, they actually talked to each other, you know, in different scenes. I thought that was, I'd never seen that before. I thought it was just brilliant. Well, associating New, New York with Alvi and LA with, Annie. It very much shows how LA is the free environment. Yeah. That's why Annie has to go there. Yeah. And New York is the controlling environment and that's where Alvi belongs. Interesting, yeah. And yeah, even yeah, just with the symbolism of Jews as outsiders, like mm -hmm. with the scene where he's dressed like a Hasidic Jew and he feels very much like an outsider in their family, mm -hmm. then again we see him in LA and he feels like an outsider. Mm -hmm. Like he does not belong there. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was just, again, this is so many years ago, I was just so thrilled that somebody was, the Jewish person was talking about Judaism, you know, in a movie that... I just was so excited about that, seeing that. Can you imagine today in a, putting that line in a movie? You're what my grandmother would call a real Jew. You know, no, I, none of that. Would, we can't speak about things like that. Yeah. Okay, well, here's a question. Wow. Do you think Woody Allen is Alvy Singer? Oh, yeah. I think not only that, but it's their relationship, you know, because I think, I'm not positive, but... Uh, I think that their, their relationship was just ending when they made that movie. They made a lot of movies together, like eight or nine or something. Um, but yeah. I also think that that idea that Marshall Brookman co-wrote the script helped make help assist Woody Allen to get to that point as this kind of a serious filmmaker. You know, he really reached depths that he hadn't written on his own. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know about um, the personal situations that he's gotten himself into, that you were aware of it, do you think you'd have the same 
um, feeling about the movie. Okay, that's a great point, which mm-hmm. I have thought a lot about because I think the answer is I would have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why when people my age watch the movie, we have a very different reaction to it than when it was initially released because when it was initially released people as a society as a community Mm -hmm. had a very different opinion of who he was as a person than we do now i went into the movie with a bad taste in my mouth Mm -hmm. i went in expecting that i was not going to like him that he was going to be gross and manipulative and a bad person because that's who i believe him to be in real life And so that kind of definitely influenced my first watch of the movie. I Mm -hmm. tried to kind of hold it back the second time I watched it because I wanted to go in without, you know, anything um, encumbering how I felt about the movie. But I definitely think that when people watch the movie now, they already have preconceived notions about what the movie is going to be and who he's going to be in the movie um, I don't know if it came out today if it would win four Oscars. Oh, it wouldn't get made today. People would be like, what? well, when you look at the scenes, the movie, it's all about it's just people talking. And they talk a lot, you know? And it's like subtitles and to the camera. And, but um, The scenes are so long. Like the shoots, too. There's no cuts. Right. That scene where we see him and Tony Roberts walking... And they're like, hey, Max, hey, Max. And they're like talking to each other. You, you don't even see them. On the screen, you don't. Yeah. And I'm like, well, who, who's talking there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that definitely in terms of shooting, things are not shot. And I don't know if it's because of Woody Allen's background in theater that influenced the way that that movie was shot. Or if, you know. I look, as Mike Nichols then, he may have done that before after picked up all that, you know, those kind of exterior shots with the camera still and you hear the, the voiceover, the dialogue, and then all of a sudden the people walk, you know, from the distance into the scene. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's things about his performance or the writing, uh, the script itself, the character is, you know, sexually pretty aggressive and he's very, very kind of belligerent and controlling was, and overbearing. I was asking myself what motivates this character and the only thing I could think of was sleeping with women that is the only thing that motivates him and why does he want to do that to you control know, like, women so yeah like do you have to get deeper and deeper and then why does he want to do that and then why does, yeah it's so hard to not let you know on the second watch it was so hard for me to not let my bad feelings about woody allen influence the way i interpreted the movie mm-hmm. and i was thinking about it and i think it's because of the things that he was accused of in Woody Allen movies, the movies are, he's controlling the whole thing, right? So it's like showing that he likes to be in control. He's directing it, he's starring in it, he's writing in it. Mm-hmm. He's also the face of the movie. So mm-hmm. I can't watch a Woody Allen movie, at least these early ones, without seeing him in it. And then the movie is about the things that he is accused of doing. Like there's even a line at the end about... Tony Roberts is sleeping with 16-year-old twins. twins. Imagine twin the possibilities. I know. So it's like, right. 
it's like Woody Allen says this stuff's not true. He's like, oh, I didn't do this. These are all, these are all made up. Like these are just, you know, accusations, but nothing ever happened. It's like, well, then why did you make 45 movies that back up the claims? It's just like so hard to separate him from the movies, especially when you're watching it and you're like, what is he doing in this movie? He's controlling Annie Hall. He's manipulating her. He's being sexually aggressive. Mm -hmm. He's writing lines about sleeping with 16 year old girls. And then of course you have Manhattan, which is about sleeping with 16 year old girls. That was a shocking visual. Mariel Hemingway and Woody. That was a, that was a shocker to see that, that image of those two. It, It just makes it harder for people who have lived through me too at a young age. Yeah. That's very much a part of who I think people in my generation know Woody Allen for. They're not watching Annie Hall and being like, what a film. I love this movie. They're like, oh yeah, I know Rowan Farrow. And I know oh, about, sure. you know, about him getting me too and all these creepy things that he said and how he really likes young girls. Like that's what they know about Woody Allen and not that he's made really artsy he's a genius. films. Yeah, that he's a genius filmmaker. Yeah. Okay, let me ask this. Oftentimes what works in movies is that if the the person you love in the movie loves someone else, you love that person because the person you love loves that person. Mm -hmm. That didn't work for you, huh? You love Diane Keaton. She loves Woody in the movie, but you couldn't love him. Mm. Well, because he was hurting the person who I loved. But on the other hand, she did um, uh, take his advice, so to speak, and she blossomed underneath his... She managed to, she managed to take, I don't know, follow, to enrich her life and kind of own it and move on from him. She didn't need him anymore. She did, but then he tried to turn that on her. It was like, yeah, he he mentored her, but then he uses it at the end when he goes to LA to win her back. He's like, you're successful because of me. Mm -hmm. You would, you could have never done it on your own. You have to marry me now because I did this for you. Aren't you so grateful? And she's not. She's like, I got to go now. I'm all about an anti-hero. <laughs> I'm all about it. <laughs> but I find him to be repulsive. And maybe it's because... And maybe I'm not enjoying it because I feel... It's not even like he's a bad person in the movie. It's because I feel such a close tie between Woody Allen and Alvy Singer that I'm like, he is this way in real life, so why would I root for him in this movie? Well, okay, so then let's talk about something else. Okay. <laughs> Still about the movie, though. I was, because um, we talked about feelings and how we felt or how I felt, and um, um, it, 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 uh, seeing it this time... I just want to talk about some of the cinematic devices, which back then I think enabled me to feel super close to what was going on. Like I was mm-hmm. spying on a relationship almost, you know, like first thing, you know, it's just speaking into the camera right off the bat, you know, breaking the fourth wall and setting up who he is and what he's trying to do was, got, he knew what was going on. It was right to the point. Um, and then we talked about the split screens. Uh, the idea of those subtitles where you can really see what they're saying, like on the balcony where he's uh, saying, like, I think she can see that I'm super shallow and, you know. Um, I think I thought, that was the only one out of the devices that I don't know if I've seen that. That that they're like Where the, have I seen that elsewhere? I don't think I have. Like, you know, 
the split screen and, you know, talking to the camera, like Ferris Bueller's day off, right? He goes to the camera and he's like, now here's the deal. Here's what I'm up to, really. Mm -hmm. And so I saw like a very straight line from Annie Hall to Ferris Bueller. And I, and I see like in other romantic comedies, like, um, when Harry met Sally, I feel like there's a lot of similarities there too. Um, Francis Ha, the boy downstairs, like all these New York based romantic comedies, I see straight lines to all the influences there, but the I don't think I've ever seen subtitles. I don't think I've seen that reused that yeah. I can think of. You, you don't have that. Uh, you have voiceover a lot, you know, where there's really talking about when you're seeing a scene, they're saying, you know, what's going on subconsciously and all. But that was super cool. And also the idea of all those passersby, he walked down the street and they would know his what hijinks he was up to, or do you know just what his predicaments were, and they yell out answers. Here, you, you look like a very happy couple. Um, are you? Yeah. Yeah, so, so how, how do you account for it? Uh, I'm very shallow and empty, and I have no ideas and nothing interesting to say. And I'm exactly the same way. I see. Wow, that's very interesting. So you've managed to work out something, huh? Right. Oh, well, thanks very much for talking to me. He added documentary elements to the movie that I found to be super interesting because it was like, it's a romantic comedy, but it's also real. And so therefore it's a documentary about relationships. So I'm going to address the audience in asides, bring in experts, like in that movie theater line scene where he brings in an expert to confront the person in line behind Malcolm him. Malcolm McLaren. So yeah. it was a real person. Yeah. That was another thing. A real person coming into this scene. It, it was mind blowing. And he's just talking to people on the street. Yeah. I felt like there was a very strong documentary influence. True. And then what about the animation? Like, these are all in one movie. Mm -hmm. I thought thought that was so great. And then what about the the lovemaking scene where Annie Hall leaves her body? You know, I thought that That was was so visually beautiful. beautiful. Like, that's her soul. You know, they're separating. That was also... You just don't see this stuff, especially not in a comedy. And that was so... um, True, I think, to how a lot of women, young women, leave their but body. also women, just women of all ages feel like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, um, Woody Allen said in an interview that working with Diane Keaton allowed him to see relationships and filmmaking from a woman's perspective, which is not something that he was able to do before. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, after hearing that and watching the movie a second time, mm-hmm. trying to take my dislike for Woody Allen out of it, I really saw that. I think that he did it. A masterful job showing how women feel in relationships with yeah. people who are abusing them or people who aren't abusing them. I just, I really, I did see a lot of myself and personal experiences like in Annie Hall. So I think that part of it, I did have a very positive response to. And mm-hmm. I think that part of it specifically was done really, really well. Mm-hmm. Okay, then what about this? What about, because these are all just crazy devices. We've never seen all in one movie. I know I keep saying that, and I will continue to say that. But also when they went back and like her past boyfriends, and there was that scene with uh, uh, the guy who's an actor, and you know, I want to die by getting torn apart by animals. It's like so absurd. It's so ridiculous. And she's totally into it. But they are visiting that scene and commenting on it. Like, oh yeah, look how cute he is. I thought that was just tremendous he was able to show his past and to a certain extent her past to other characters in the movie like they were watching 
yeah. a movie. I think that this movie is not trying to say anything about the 70s. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that was the point. I agree. But I think by making it so 70s that it, in fact, is saying things about the 70s when we go back and look at it. Like When you watch Annie Hall, you are transported to Manhattan in 1977. Yeah. I felt like I was, oh, I'm in Manhattan and it's 1977. And they're playing tennis. Yes, they're playing tennis and everyone's really groovy and they're wearing bell bottoms in the street. Oh my, yes. It it felt so 70s. And, And it feels that way because of all of the cultural references like, um, like you said, um, about even the Godfather. There were Godfather references in the movie, references mm-hmm. to Second Shooter, talking about the JFK assassination. Good um, point. Even uh, cocaine being used recreationally. Oh, and she gets high? I couldn't believe that. Yes, yeah, cool. Casting Paul Simon. Super hip. Really hip, but also, well, first of all, I loved him. Paul Simon in this movie. I was like, why isn't Paul Simon in more movies? He did such a great job. And I also loved that he was always dating very tall women. Loved. And they were very androgynous. And you'd be like, what's going on over there? <laughs> yeah. And he was also very deadpan with everything he said. And then when he would introduce his friends and they were all so cool and they would strut <laughs> off and there's Woody Allen looking so miserable, just not able to go with whatever was happening. Something that I found to be the most interesting about the cultural references in this movie was Woody Allen Woody Allen's commentary on intellectual culture through Alvy Singer and the hypocrisy of having intellectual culture dialogue like Alvy is an intellectual and to have a dialogue on intellectual culture requires you to be somewhat of an intellectual and he's like going to these parties and you know his wife is throwing a New Yorker party and he like wants to be in the room watching the football or, yeah. or yeah or basketball or whatever yeah, yeah. he's watching but he's got no interest and like he wants to be with Annie who's like down to earth and she's from Wisconsin and she's of the people and he you know there's this very strong anti-intellectual culture narrative going on but then when you're listening to the yeah, commentary he's, he's that he's making on it it's like you you are the intellectual <laughs> It's anti, it's very hypocritical, the Mm -hmm. dialogue that he's having in this movie about intellectual culture when the movie is like chalk. You have to be an intellectual to understand the Mm -hmm. references that he's making in this movie. Mm -hmm. So I found that to be an interesting commentary Mm -hmm. on the 70s, Mm -hmm. um, whether it was purposeful or not. Mm -hmm. Oh, what about, what about oral sex? What about that? I never saw that in a movie. Do you know when Woody makes some, some comment about like his jaw, he's getting feeling bad? What? I was just like, wait, play that back. You know, I again, I'd never seen that. I was just shocked to see it in a movie that came out in the 70s. Yeah, what? Anything besides the missionary position? Mm-hmm. I was coming of a time where literally it was like the sexual revolution. I was like, past that, okay. But um, all this stuff was mind blowing to me. Yeah, I felt very French. <laughs> like he's got his red light bulbs and she's smoking marijuana and like it just felt very French. <laughs> oh, but sure. you know, even going back to the intellectual culture, it's like after he dates Annie Hall, he like wants to be with these women who are 
free, but also intellectuals. Like, he goes out with a woman who works for Rolling Stone, and they're going to a concert, and she's talking about, like, the Buddha and all of these things. Um, another thing that I found interesting about, that felt very 70s to me about it, was the way that they used therapy to be shocking. He was like, I'm in therapy. And everyone's like, what? Yeah. His, well, he was in therapy for 50 years. <laughs> yeah. So there is that. But there but was yeah. like using therapy as a shock value. It was shocking. No one talked about it then. I was in therapy then. And I couldn't believe they would talk about it because it was, shh, people will think you're crazy. But there yeah. was a very new versus old commentary going in on even within the therapy dialogue because you see her in a very modern therapy setting where she's talking about her feelings and as a woman and she has a woman as a therapist mm -hmm. and you know she's really getting to explore her feelings and it's very successful it's working and she's like this is working and i don't want what i have anymore and that scares me and you see him in therapy and he's it's very freudian he's laying down on a couch his therapist not saying anything to him and he's just i mean you can see why it's unsuccessful yeah but there's one moment in that that I, to me again was brilliant where there's something like uh, uh how often do you have sex all the time never and it's the same amount they both say the same amount three times a week and so it's just a point of view on it i thought that was so delightful and so ooh, razor sharp yeah it was so good and um, they shot that scene they shot it on one soundstage with a wall in between them oh did they yeah very clever and what about when she comes and says to him after the first session oh my god i told him about the dream i had and blah 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 and then that and then i cried and he's just like yeah, they're doing dream interpretation. She's in a the... better student of life than he is. Yes. And he's just... He's jealous. He can't keep up with her. Yeah. I, I think that maybe he's also a little jealous of her. He wouldn't be. Even it's though fantastic. he's... Well, yeah, I'm jealous of her. But... <laughs> I want to be her. <laughs> but, like, even though he's successful and she's not, he's jealous that she has this totally different approach to life. That he, I think he wants to have, but he is totally incapable of having. Um, I find it very interesting, kind of goes back to his control over her and, and also to his inability to be free and to live life the way she does. He never says, I love you to her in mm -hmm. the whole movie. Mm -hmm. He love you. I love you. Yeah. He mm -hmm. says, I love you. I love you. He never says, I love you. Mm -hmm. Even at the end. He, when won't he goes come to into her. her. Well, at the end, when he goes to win her back, he says, you love me. He's like, I know you love me, Annie. Come back to New York with me. So you want to get married or what? No. We're friends. I want to remain friends. Okay. Jack, please. Can I, can I, can You're I... mad, aren't you? Yes, of course I'm mad, because you love me. I know that. I can't say that that's true at this point in my life. I really just can't say that that's true. I, I found that to be, that line particularly, you know you love me, mm -hmm. to be extremely powerful. I feel like I got punched in the gut. Yeah. Like, all Annie wants to hear is that he loves her. I mean, I don't think that she would have gone back to New York with him, even if he had said that. But to her, it just said, like, He's never going. He, he hasn't yeah. changed. He never is He's going to. He's not going to change. And that's why I think that it was so, uh, you know, he knew the relationship wouldn't work. She's going to move on past him, you know. And she she does. At the end, she's with someone else and he's not, correct? Yeah, but they weren't they coming out of the pity and the sorrow, sorrow and the pity? Weren't they coming oh, out of a movie? Yes, they're so both that was with sweet people. Yeah. yeah, they went to the same movie. She does end up moving back to New York. 
yeah. just not with him. Yeah. Boy, you certainly saw things in this movie that I never did. Did you have a favorite scene? Everyone. Do not not only everyone, but I had seen the movie, of course, back in the seventy-seven, and then I saw it a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I saw it just last night again, I was surprised at how familiar the scenes were, how clearly I remembered them, and the words. There's so many words that are kind of part of our, you know, dialogue now, like. You know, the bug is the size of a Buick or la-di-da or, you know, the thing. About, anyway, it's, uh, I was just surprised. Uh, I loved her singing. Oh, okay, wait. Can we talk about the singing for a second? Because the singing was the only time in the movie that I was not focused on the movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is definitely a generational difference right here. I was like, I wrote in my notes, wow, they really sang entire songs back then <laughs> in the movie i'm like <laughs> you think it's going to be two or three beats and yeah you're, you're like out. oh no. lovely and then we're on song number two like three minutes into the song and i'm like oh my gosh it's beautiful but like we're really still doing this it reminded me of we're really still doing this it, remi- it reminded me of when you're watching the marx brothers and you're like, this is the best movie ever. And then they take a 45 minute break to like play every musical instrument that they know how to play and like <laughs> sing three operas. <laughs> and you're like, go back to what I came here for. Like, be funny. Like, that's what those scenes reminded me of. I was like, wow, we're really listening to a whole song. Go back to being yeah. in love or fighting or something. Well, the scenes, all of the scenes, they're like 15 seconds long. You know, they're really long. Today, what are they like, three to five seconds? Yeah. Do you know? That's really? remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that sometimes it works, like when we have very long scenes of just people talking, or those scenes where you don't even see the characters, but you hear them talking and then eventually see them. Like, I think all of that was very successful. Oh, but I, when I was listening to multiple songs, I was like, I can are get you? the soundtrack are and listen you to the whole thing. Are. I don't know. I, I can't watch movies with you anymore. This is <laughs> you're, it's terrible. Seems like old times having you to walk with seems like old times and just her clothes. Oh my god. Because she wasn't feminized, you know? She wasn't like, oh, look at the boobs, and how's that? You know, she wore hats and goddamn vests and ties and high-waisted pants, and oh my God, what style. I think that that had significant impact on fashion in romantic comedies and also just in life. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's part of what makes the movie timeless, which leads me into my next question, which is, do you think it's timeless? Yes. I do too. Yeah. Why I, do you think it's... I think it's timeless because I think that it's so focused on human, humanity, humanness, and, that, and the relationship and kind of the honesty of it. That's why. 
That doesn't, it's really what goes on between those two people. That's why I think it still rings true. What about you though? Because I don't think you connected to the relationship like I did. No, I think it's timeless because of less of this, less because of the story, Mm -hmm. but because of the impact that it's had. And I think that movies that have influenced other movies to this degree, like automatically just become timeless. Okay. There's all of these retellings of this same story mm-hmm. set in New York using similar techniques and tropes and, you know, all of these things that happen in Annie Hall. And I, I think that that makes it timeless because we're retelling the same story over and over and over it, again. But the, 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 the male suffocating the female, is that is that part of it, you mean? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think that's a big part of it, but I think that in more modern retellings of it, when you make it more of a classic romantic comedy, like when Harry met Sally, the man changes at the end, which is not what happens in Annie Hall, mm-hmm. which makes Annie Hall very unique. She's the lead character, even though he's the one telling the story. Right. Almost every romantic comedy pulls a little bit of something from, from Annie Hall. So I think that makes it timeless. Okay. Regardless of whether I like it or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's timeless. Mm-hmm. I think you could also argue that all romantic comedies are kind of the same. Oh, they they have a complete structure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could compare any two romantic comedies and be like, they're the same because all romantic comedies are kind of the same. But I think, you know, what makes Annie Hall different and timeless is making one of your main characters who you're supposed to like absolutely miserable and you're not rooting for them. Yeah. Um, was I rooting for him? I was rooting for, um, boy, that's really, you know something? Was I rooting for him? No, not really. Was I rooting for her? I think so. And I'm, as a viewer, I was happy with how it ended in the movie, with how she ended. Um, but I, I, yeah, that's so weird. Because no, I wasn't completely rooting, but I was disappointed. No, I wasn't disappointed that they didn't stay together. I just was very involved with moment to moment what was going on with them. I think that because Woody Allen is Alvy Singer, we have kind of an opposite yeah. of what usually goes on, like, you know, in When Harry Met Sally, Billy Crystal is like a lovable guy who sometimes has bad moments. You know, it's sort of like that Larry David mm-hmm. in Curb Your Enthusiasm does a very similar thing. It's like he's a very lovable guy who does terrible things sometimes. Michael Scott also in The Office. It's like he's a lovable guy who does bad things. So you're still rooting for him even mm-hmm. though he did something horrible. In this movie, Woody Allen is a terrible guy who has mm-hmm. lovable moments sometimes, I but guess. you're never rooting for him because you're like, oh yeah, you did this lobster thing, which was nice. Or you came over and you killed the spider for Annie because she was scared. Two spiders. Sorry. <laughs> he killed two spiders in her bathroom for her because she was scared, but you're never, you're never like, oh, that reminds me of why I love him because he's just miserable. You didn't feel like bittersweet at all, like whether you liked him or not at the end, like... No, I was like, good for you, Annie. Get out of there. Damn, you are strident. Um, So none of your friends, so no one, that's not a relationship that felt honest to you. No, the relationship felt honest to me. You just didn't like the guy. I just didn't like the guy. I mean, it felt like this is a real relationship that I'm watching. Like that, it felt human, it felt real. Yeah. I just... 
didn't like it. Like if Annie Hall was my friend You'd and say, she was Get telling me out of that, I'm absolutely. doing an intervention. Yes, I would be like, leave him. Yeah, he's telling you you need to go to classes so that you can be a better person for him. Like that's <laughs> extremely manipulative. It's it's it, but it's very subtle. You know, even though she got it. But why do you think she was attracted to him? I think because she was really insecure. She needed someone to give her structure. Again, I use air quotes. But being with him, he was like, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. This is how our relationship is going to be. I'm going to be in control. And she was very insecure. And she wanted someone else to be in control mm -hmm. until she learned how to be her own person mm -hmm. through going to therapy and through working on her music career. And then she was like, this isn't working for me because you're trying to... I mean, they break up. They get back together. And the reason why it's not working is because he's trying to control her and she like won't accept that mm -hmm. lifestyle anymore. So maybe she found the person who she who would help uh, maneuver or motivate or push her in the direction she wanted to go. Yeah. As creepy as he is. <laughs> yes, as creepy as he is. <laughs>Thank you for listening to our very first episode of the Movies That Made Her But Not Me. In episode two, we'll be getting our own tots and discussing the 2004 classic Napoleon Dynamite. Thank you to our sponsor, FilmCred, an online film publication publishing insightful television and film reviews, interviews, video essays, and coverage of film festivals. Thank you also to Antonio Ortiz for composing our theme and all other music on this podcast. And be sure to follow us at Movies Made Her on Instagram and Twitter to follow the movies we'll be watching, new episodes, and all things podcast related.